0: Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 21 through 11. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hello again, everyone. It's great to see all of you. As Che mentioned at the outset of our worship service, we have been studying the Ten Commandments. And if you, if you remember, a few weeks back, we actually listed all ten of those commandments Thank you, Sulbi, for reading the first 4 to us. But if you remember, we went through all, all 10, and we, and we used some, uh, some hand motions to help us remember these, uh, these commandments. So I wonder if anyone still remembers those 10 commandments and, and, uh, and the accompanying hand motions as well. I guess if you remember all the 10 commandments, you don't, need that. you don't need the hand motions. That's fine, too. But for those of us who need them and could use them, why don't we review them? How's that? This is actually, I wasn't going to do this, but someone asked me to, so I'm going to do it anyway, okay? The first commandment tells us that there is one God. There's one God, and here's the hand motion. It's one finger pointing straight up. That's the one God. The second commandment tells us to not make any images of the one God. I'll feel better about this if you do it with me. I'll just feel a little less silly. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the, not to make any images of the one God, or nor to bow down to those images. The third commandment, do you remember? It's it's about the way that we bear God's name. And so we put these three fingers over our mouth to remind us to be careful about how we use God's name, how we talk about God and how we bear his name. The fourth commandment is one we're looking at today. It's a command to rest. And so we take these four fingers like a pillow and we rest and we put our head down to rest on the Sabbath. The fifth commandment tells us to honor Our parents. We're kind of look at that, God willing, next week. And so we honor our parents when we salute them with those five fingers. We salute them. And then the sixth commandment tells us not to murder. And so it it, we we think about that thumb as like a knife, right? We don't oh, oh no murdering. Don't murder anyone, including yourself. Don't murder. The seventh commandment tells us to not commit adultery. It's a reminder that the marriage bed is sacred and it's meant for a husband and wife. And so we respect that marriage bed. We honor it. The Eighth Commandment, anyone remember what it tells us not to do? It tells us not to murder. We don't hold anyone up. Here, put your hands up. This is a hold up. No, mur- no, no stealing. Did I say murdering? I meant no stealing. I meant no stealing. No holding up. How about the, the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment tells us not to lie. Right? If, we, if we've only got five or something, don't say you have four. If you only gave four, don't say you gave five. Don't lie. And the last commandment the easiest for me to remember, um, maybe because I struggle with it, I don't know, but it tells us not to go through life coveting, grasping, wanting more. It says be content with what you have. These are the Ten Commandments. I told you there would be no test, um, so I'm going to hold true to that in, in the spirit of the ninth commandment. I will not bear false witness. we will not have a test, but I hope those are helpful to you nevertheless. Let's pray before we jump into the text today. Our Father, even as we laugh and even as we perhaps uh, uh, remember uh, silly hand motions, the, 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 the silliness in a sense points us to profound truth. It points us to weighty truth. Your law is good and perfect and wise and it instructs us and it confronts us and it reveals you to us and it points us to Jesus. And so we want to steward your law well today. Show us beautiful things in your law. Point us to the gospel and give us hope as we study your word today. It's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Is anyone tired here today? Anyone tired? Anyone anyone work hard this week? Perhaps even work too hard this week? So much so that you are looking forward to the weekend and a little bit of rest. I trust that many of us would say, yes, yes, I worked hard and I am tired. How many of you could say you completed every project that you started this week? How many of us can say, I finished every to-do list, everything I meant to do this week, I got it done? Most of us could not say yes to that, could we? The fact is that no matter how hard we worked this past week, most of us know that when we leave this place, there's more work waiting for us. <laughs> in some sense, the work is never done, is it? And perhaps that's why so many of us feel so tired all the time. And we live in a tired world surrounded by driven people who are also overworked people, tired people. And the fatigue that we experience isn't just caused by the work that we get paid to do by our occupations, it's also, co- pay, it's also caused that fatigue is brought on by the demands of family, maybe even demands of church and community. And all of it can leave us with very little time to rest, very little time to recuperate. Even, even very little time to even reflect on, on why we're working in the first place, and what are we working for? It can leave us drained and distracted, and some of us, if we're honest, will say sometimes it leaves us depressed, deeply depressed. Back in the 1990s, um, a woman by the name of Juliet Shore, she's an economist, she wrote a bestseller titled The Overworked American." And she writes in that book about how, this is in the 90s, she's writing about how 30 years earlier, people thought that by the time the 90s rolled around, and and certainly by the time the 2000s came, the expectation was that we'd be working less, (laughs) not more. The expectation was that because of technological advances and just human progress, we'd now, by now, be leading healthier, more rested lives that we'd be experiencing more leisure, more margin in our days and weeks. But they were wrong. Shore's book reports that, on the contrary, work days have actually gotten longer. And so have work weeks. More people are working seven days a week rather than six or five. Commutes have gotten longer, too, on average. And maybe you realize that even some of the things that we expected to make life easier have made us work harder. Smartphones, laptops. Yeah, they've, they've created a world in which we can work almost anywhere. How many, how many of you have sent a work-related communication already today? Perhaps even before you got out of bed, perhaps you already sent some work-related email or text, rest has become harder to come by, not easier to come by. Many of you have shared how hard it is to find that, that elusive sense of, of work-life balance, right? Work-life balance. We talk about that sometimes, but, but it's like, work-life balance, I think it's like Bigfoot. It's like, it's like the Loch Ness Monster. Some people think it exists, some of us have our doubts, but none of us have ever, ever like, actually seen it. None of us have actually experienced it firsthand, but we still keep striving for it. Maybe, maybe we even have to ask ourselves, though, we need to pause and question, do we even really want to find work-life balance? I mean, we we see it as important, but but do we really want to find it? Because, Because a few studies have shown that some of us actually choose to overwork. Now, certainly, there are people in the world, perhaps even right here, who are forced to overwork because of oppressive work environments and oppressive employers. People are enslaved all around this world, literally. But for some of us, I wonder if we choose to overwork. Some studies have shown that even when, employees, when employers offer uh, generous time off, American workers are sometimes unlikely to take advantage of that generous time off. Apparently, 25% of Americans don't take the vacation days they have. And one study showed that employees who, have offered, uh, who, are, who, who are offered unlimited PTO, right, employees who get unlimited personal time off, they're actually less likely to take that time off. They, are, they take less time off than people who are not, offered unlimited personal time off. It's, it, it makes you start to think, are, are we just refusing to rest sometimes? Because the, 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 these studies and, and, and perhaps even some of your anecdotal experiences might, might lead us to, to wonder, man, it's almost as if we, we refuse to rest. Like, like we're resistant to it as if we find some comfort in overworking or we feel the need to just keep pushing. That's the reality I think many of us are living in, and it's into that very reality that God speaks the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. And this, and this commandment reveals something to us, many things to us about God. That's the first point today, is that this commandment reveals several things to us about God. For one, this commandment shows us that he's our creator. And as such, he knows what we need. (laughs) He knows what's best for us. Work-life balance might be a mystery to us, but it's not to him. And that's why he says, it's in part at least why he says to us, remember Shabbat. Remember the Sabbath. Literally, remember the day of rest. Remember the day of ceasing. That's what Sabbath or Shabbat means. It means to stop, to cease. Remember the day of stopping. You see, God knows that he knows something about us that we fail to see, or sometimes maybe we refuse to accept. It's that as important as work is to our lives, and it is important, isn't it? The need to stop working is just as important. Exodus 20, verse 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. This commandment shows us also that God himself rested. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 11 of Exodus 20. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. The creator Stopped. At the very least, he stopped creating. It doesn't mean he stopped doing everything that he does, sustaining this world, but he stopped creating. He paused from the creative process. Why? Why? After all, he's not like us, right? He doesn't need to rest. Psalm 121 says that God never slumbers or sleeps, and yet he rested. I I like to think of it in terms of the kind of rest that, that, that... That you find on a on a on a music sheet. A rest that that makes up an integral, silent but integral part of a piece of music. It's necessary, that pause, and it makes the piece of music all the more beautiful. It It makes it sound like what it was meant to sound like. God paused on that seventh day, and he did it for our sake. He did it to show us and to model for us what a rhythm of work and rest should look like. What it looks like to work six days and rest one. Doesn't this reveal to us that God cares about us? Why else would he do this? It reveals to us that the creator God cares about our well-being. Not only did he design us to work and rest, but he says, I'm going to show you what it looks like to do that, and I'm going to tell you to do it. I'm going to do everything necessary to to invite you into a life of work balanced with rest. In fact, we can say that this creator God cares more about us than we do. He's a gift-giving God. He gave us work on the one hand, which is meant to be rewarding. He gave us gifts to carry out that work, and the work itself is meant to be rewarding and fulfilling, and it's meant to be productive. But he also put these boundaries around that work. You you see his kindness there? You see his wisdom there as well? Work is not evil. Work is good. Sin didn't bring work into the world. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, we find that God makes humanity and calls them to work. He gives them work to do. But what sin brought into the world was restlessness and inability to stop working. And it also turned work into toil, which made rest all the more important. It made the work harder. And we, in our fallen state, have lost our ability to manage work wisely. And that's one of the reasons that God introduced this concept of Sabbath, into the world, he, he, he put a hard limit on just how much work would get done in a week. In fact, he didn't just set this weekly Sabbath. If we look through the book of Leviticus, we find that God introduced to his people, Israel, different kinds of Sabbaths, different t- kinds of resting periods. Every seven years, for instance, Israel was, was called to let their land rest. There would be no planting and no harvesting every seventh year. Why? To teach them. To teach them a lot. We're going to see what this teaches us. But, but to, to, to show them what it looks like to not only rest themselves, but to let the, the land, their livestock rest as well. And then on the seventh time, seventh year, there was a year of jubilee. And then that year of jubilee, it was, it was, it was, it was a, a, a bigger time of resting where slaves and servants were set free. If they, if they owed money to their masters, that the money was forgiven and they were set free. In fact, every debt was erased. People were freed and given rest from the work of having to pay back their debts every 50 years. Now, now think about this. If you live in a society where God has come and he said, not only are you going to rest from work completely once every, every seven days, but also every seven years you're going to you're going you're to let the ground rest. You're not going to cultivate anything. You're going to actually trust me during that period. And then on top of that, any money that you're, you're owed every 50th year, you're not owed it anymore. And any money you owe, you don't owe it anymore. You would think that for some people this would be very welcome, but for many it would be a, it would be a risky business, isn't it? It's hard. It's risky to Sabbath. All the more for those people in that time, The fourth commandment comes to reveal to us that God is in control and he can be trusted with that risk. We can entrust him. We can stop working. It's okay. And all will be okay. We can stop working according to his plan on a regular, rhythmic basis every week, and we can still trust that he'll provide for us. Our lives are not in our hands. Our lives are in his hands, aren't they? And he's trustworthy. So we can submit our work to him. Even, even this past week's, all, any unfinished projects, you can submit those to him even as you sit here now. Those to-do lists that you were, you were overly optimistic when you wrote down, you can submit those undone items to the Lord our unfinished projects, all of it, and trust him to bring forth fruit. Yes, he wants us to be diligent in doing the work he's given us to do, but he also calls us to rest when the time comes. He places limits even on our diligence and on our hard work. This is something of what this commandment reveals to us about what kind of God we serve. But this, this, uh, this commandment also confronts us. It confronts us. In uncomfortable ways, it confronts us with some things that we don't want to see about ourselves, like the fact that we think we are stronger than we really are. We tend to think that we can keep up a particular schedule longer than we really can. And we tend to think we're doing better at keeping up that schedule than we really are doing. We tend to think that we're in control and that we're indispensable What I mean is that sometimes I think that we overwork because we feel like if I don't do it, it's not going to get done, and everything's going to fall apart. I am indispensable to this firm, to this partnership, to this company, to this task. If I were to rest in the way that God's calling me to rest, nothing would go right. Some have said that this is kind of of like a practical atheism, you know? It says, if I'm not exerting control, if I'm not putting in work constantly, then everything's going to go to shambles. It's as if God is not God. The bills won't get paid. Our future will be wrecked. The job won't get done, and so I need to keep going, and I need to keep going. In fact, some of us, maybe we're, we're tempted to laugh off this command. Like, it's we look at it and we say, God, we get you where you're coming from here. We appreciate the concern, Lord. We appreciate the concern. But seriously, come on. I can't take time off if I needed it. And frankly, I don't really need it. In some sense, this commandment confronts us with our deep-seated desire to be the creator-sustainer. To be the one who is powerful and impervious to exhaustion and in control. You know how little kids sometimes, they they won't go to sleep until you make them go to sleep? Little kids just want to keep running around and playing and playing and playing. and, And you finally have to, you can't convince them that they need to go to sleep. You just have to force them to go to sleep. We're like those kids sometimes, aren't we? God needs to force us. He needs to keep telling us it's time for rest. I know when my kids were toddlers, sometimes I would find them, if we forgot to give them naps, I would just find them passed out in different parts of our house. I'd just stumble in and be, oh, there's a kid sleeping by the back door. Once a neighbor came over, yeah, there's one. Once a neighbor came over, my daughter, the same daughter, was sleeping right in front of the front door like a a puppy. I was so embarrassed. One time, I told Nella to go clean her room, and then about 30 minutes later, I went to go check on... How she was doing, and this is what I found. I don't think she put anything away. I think she just passed out under the hard labor. <laughs> we are like these children in some ways, right? I mean, there's something cute about it. First of all, it's not very cute when a kid just melts down <laughs> because they're exhausted. Maybe there's something a little bit cute about walking in and finding a little girl sleeping on a shaggy rug like that. Yeah, I did find it cute. That's why I took the picture. But there's absolutely nothing cute about an adult who's on the verge of burnout and and, and, and flaming out completely is there or an adult in the hospital with any number of maladies brought on by overwork and stress and the failure, the failure to believe what God reveals to him about himself. We are, like these children, often unaware of our own limitations or we're stubbornly unwilling to admit those limitations until we burn out. And so, like kids, we need a a designated enforced schedule, (laughs) right? We need need that enforced schedule. And God gives us one. Sabbath is meant to to whittle away at at that sense of self-sufficiency, It's meant to put limits around us where we find it hard to limit ourselves. By the way, did you you notice that this fourth commandment, it isn't even just personal. Look Look at what it says in Exodus 20, verse 10. It says there, but the Sabbath day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall, it's personal right there, you shall not do any work. But then it goes on to say, you or your son or your daughter Or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner, that is the the pilgrim, the visitor, the foreigner, who is within your gates. Isn't that interesting? It's calling us not only to rest, but to give others rest. The people that we have authority over, the people that we have influence and, 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 and power over, he's saying, give those people rest. Love them enough to give them rest. Why do you think the Lord says this? The Lord's confronting us with something very important here. That, that we're not just prone to overwork ourselves. We're prone to overwork other people for ourselves. We overwork for our gain and then we, we in some cases, make other people work harder and harder for our gain. I, I'm, as a parent, I wonder about what this has to say to me as a, as a, and my children. I wonder what it has to say to you if you are a parent. Are there ways in which perhaps you are pushing your kids I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that we want to raise children who do not have a healthy work ethic, right? We'll talk about that in a moment. What I'm saying is that is it possible that some of us, we so desire to see our kids succeed in ways that will bring gratification to us that we are willing to push them and push them and push them, give them no rest, treat them like we treat ourselves, even though we know it's unhealthy. God's command comes and says, no, no. Treat yourself with kindness by giving yourself rest. Give everyone else a break, too. Don't use them, whether it's your children, or it's employees, or it's students. Don't use them for all they're worth, for your own gain. This is a confronting commandment, isn't it? As are all of them. But this commandment also instructs us with wisdom and with gentleness to this commandment, like the others, has something to teach us. For one, it teaches us how to love our neighbors, including our kids, including our employees, including our students if we're teachers, right? Rather than trying to squeeze everything out of them, the fourth commandment is about, in a sense, you could say this fourth commandment is about social justice. In the sense, it teaches us to love people that we're tempted to use. It teaches us to care for people and care for their good when we're tempted to use them for our good. And just like all the other commandments, it teaches us how to live as free people. You know, when Moses first gave the Ten Commandments to God's people, and we read them from, from Exodus 20, so it'll be read from Exodus 20, that was just, uh, just after they had, they had left Egypt, free, after having been enslaved for 400 years, he gives them those commandments. Among them, keep the Sabbath day. Remember, I, God says, I created the world in six days, I rested on seventh. keep the Sabbath day. Then, 40 years later, Moses reminds Israel of these same commandments. It's just as they're about to now, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they're about to enter the promised land. A whole new generation of Israelites had been born and grown up at this point. And so Moses says, they need to be, it's a whole new group of people here, they need to be reminded of these ten commandments. And so he reminds them. But here's what's interesting. When he gets to the fourth commandment, he switches things up a bit. He doesn't mention creation. Let's look at this. It's in Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, fourth commandment. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. On the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and all your your ox, your donkey, and any other livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and female servants may rest as well as you. To that point, there's some language difference, but it's pretty much the same thing he said earlier, right? Pretty much the same thing. But then look at verse 15. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you, to keep the Sabbath day. So instead of referring to creation, God says, here's why you should remember the Sabbath. Here's another reason to remember the Sabbath. You were slaves and I freed you with my mighty arm. I am powerful enough to rescue you and I did rescue you. Now, these are formerly enslaved people. They they were enslaved by Pharaoh who was never satisfied with their work. With Pharaoh, it was always do more, do more produce more, work harder, and God's saying, that's changed now. And when they left Egypt, remember, when they first left, they were largely broke. They didn't have a whole lot. But now, here they are, 40 years later, they're about to go into the promised land. They're going to rebuild a society. They're, they're going to they're build a nation. There's going to be opportunities here for for entrepreneurship. There's going to be opportunities in this new place for industry and creativity and building something good. There's going to be an opportunity for them to build wealth in this promised land. And so the Lord stops them because he sees all the pitfalls that await them in this promised land. He knows that there's going to be the temptation to to let that pursuit of wealth and that ambition, and, and that pursuit of a security, it, there's a possibility that it all might enslave them all over again. Pharaoh was not there to enslave them, but they ran the, they ran the risk of enslaving themselves. And so God reminds them, I freed you from slavery, Don't slave yourself, don't enslave yourselves again. I freed you from your oppressors, don't become oppressors of each other. Don't, don't be like Pharaoh toward yourselves. Don't be like Pharaoh towards one another. Because the Lord knows that the, whether it's building a career or it's planning for a comfortable retirement or whether it's the drive to amass more or improve your quality of life, to, to, to get some more security, some more status, some more success. He knows that all of that has the power to enslave us if we let it. That we end up becoming servants of the very thing that we're pursuing. And, and we end up being driven to exhaustion and, and, and burnout and, and even destruction. Destruction of our families, as a result, so, so this commandment, in, in, it's, it's a simple instruction in some ways, but it's teaching us a better way to live as free people. There, there are voices in our culture that, that seem to tell us implicitly that, that we are fundamentally producers. That's what you are. That's why you exist, to produce something. And so that means that you're worth is in how much you get done. Your worth is in how much you have to show for yourself. Those voices are lying to us. And on the other hand, we have advertisements that are all over the place telling us a slightly different lie. Those those advertisements might be telling us that we are fundamentally consumers, that our purpose is to buy and use stuff. And of course, in order to be A good consumer, we have to be a good producer too because we have to make enough money to be able to buy the stuff we want and we're being told we need. God tells us you are not fundamentally producers or consumers. Yes, certainly, certainly he wants you to be productive. Yes, you, you are free to consume things that are good for you. There's no doubt, but fundamentally you are his people. And he says, you were created by me and you were free by me, liberated by me to live for me. And that requires of you not endless labor and productivity. That's not what he requires of us. He requires of us trust, a trust and a willingness to rest in knowing that Jesus died for us, that we find our identity in Him, that, that your true sense of self worth as a follower of Jesus Christ is in Him. Your true sense of worth is not found in how much you make or achieve, but in how much He loves you and has done for you. The fourth commandment is a call to rest in that to enjoy that reality, to reflect on that reality, and to live in the light of it. Tim Keller puts it succinctly and and beautifully, so I'm just going to read this quote from him. He says, Sabbath is therefore a declaration of our freedom. It means you are not a slave. Look what he says. Not to your culture's expectations, your family's hopes, your medical school's demands, not even to your own insecurities, and then he goes on to say, it's important that you learn to speak this truth to yourself with a note of triumph. Otherwise, you'll feel guilty for taking time off, or you'll be unable to truly unplug. I think he's right. You see, the rest that we need, and Keller's alluding to this here, the rest we need is physical, there's no doubt, but there's a spiritual component to this, isn't there? The rest we need is is worshipful rest. We need rest to reflect on who God is and what he's done for us because that will shape the kind of worker we are and the kind of rester we are. The Sabbath is not just about time off. It's about stopping one thing, stopping work, so that we can focus on some other things that we tend to neglect. And what do we tend to neglect? We might tend to neglect recovery. (sighs) We might also tend to neglect worship. Listen to what Jen Wilkins says. She says, Our modern conception of Sabbath is often little more than taking a day off for the purpose of relaxing. But true Sabbath rest is set apart as holy. And I would say Sabbath has to do, just pause for a moment, Sabbath does have to do with relaxing. It does have to do with renewal and refreshing physically. And yet she's pushing in deeper and she's pointing at the spiritual component. True Sabbath rest, quote, Is set apart as holy. It is intended for worship as much as well being. The fourth word or fourth commandment does more than tell us to relax. Sabbath rest is distinct from idleness, which is resting without laboring, and it's different from simply having gotten enough sleep. The word Shabbat means cease. To Sabbath is to cease activity for the purpose of remembering God's provision that we might worship him as we ought. Being well-rested and taking care of ourselves are good things, but they are at best a thin obedience to the fourth commandment. Interesting, no. The fact is that all of us, we need designated scheduled times, space in our lives that's been set apart beforehand for rest, for worship, Otherwise, we will neglect it and we'll forget God. The fourth commandment teaches us how to develop a regular rhythm of rest and worship. and It's both and, right? It's both. We need both, rest and worship, so that that when we come away, we will come away not just physically rested, but spiritually renewed and reoriented as well, reminded of who we are and who we serve, and it's not Pharaoh, (laughs) And, and reminded of where our worth really lies. So you see, real rest is in him. It's in our God. It's in our Savior. Many of you have probably heard the quote from Augustine, St. Augustine, who said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. We have to be careful about how we apply this law today. We have to be careful about legalism, because there are some things that changed after Jesus' death and resurrection. Romans 14, 5 The apostle Paul says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So he's talking to Gentile and Jewish believers, and he's saying, something has changed here. You're not required in a legal sense to take that seventh day and observe it the way God's Old Testament people did. It's now become a matter of conscience, he says. Then in Colossians 2, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, in one sense, that Sabbath law was preparing us for the coming of Jesus. And so things changed here. No longer is that requirement that we take that seventh day and observe it the way that Old Testament Jews observed it. God's people now gather on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. But even the Lord's Day, if we're really, if we want to really be honest, the Bible at no point says keep that Lord's Day holy or refers to it in language. It never refers to the Lord's Day in the same language that it uses to refer to the Old Testament Sabbath. So something has changed here. And so we want to be careful to not play, place rules on one another and burdens on one another, telling each other, here's what you can do on Sunday, here's what you can't do on Sunday. No, or on Saturday. But what, although things have changed here, there's still a principle for Christians. There's still a principle for humans, not just Christians. And the principle is this, that God offers us, that, that, that health and well-being and shalom are to be found in a weekly, regular, planned day of rest. It's built into creation. Before the law was ever given, it was already there. we still have trouble working and resting well, don't we? We still want control. We still want to overwork at times. We want to refuse to trust the Lord. Those things haven't changed. So neither has God's call to us to observe a rhythm of weekly, regular, consistent rest. Ceasing from work to recover and, and, and recreate. I don't mean reproduce. I mean recreate like recreate, like Recreation. To reflect and to worship. It's why we're told not to neglect meeting together in Hebrews 10, right? God wants us to gather as His church, to worship together. There is no doubt. He, but He also wants us, He also wants us to take time to rest. And it's through this repeated rhythm, week after week, a lifetime of it, that slowly but surely, we learn to trust God more. As we see God prove himself faithful, we take the risk of setting aside work, and then we see what God does. And we'll see that he is faithful. We're going to see the benefits. You will see the fruit in your life from obedience to this commandment. You'll see fruit in your families. You may even see fruit in your careers. I'm not not promising some kind of prosperity if you obey the fourth commandment in any kind of, you know, financial sense. but What I'm saying is that there is blessing in the pathway of obedience. When we obey God, we can expect good things to come from God as a result, not as payment to us, but simply because obedience to him is always wise and it's always blessed. So just as God blesses your efforts to be diligent, New Hope, he will also bless your efforts to obey him by resting. Some of us, maybe the best thing you can do for your career is diligently practice Sabbath. (laughs) You can do it. The world won't collapse. Anything you lose, you weren't meant to have anyway. I'll read the psalm to you, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish up here. But Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, he gives rest. He gives to his beloved sleep. I'm not going to add specific regulations. We don't need those. That's what the Pharisees did, right? The Pharisees said, here's how you obey the Sabbath. Here's five million rules. And what it did is it ended up sucking all the joy out of... (laughs) the day of rest, and it inspired people to find loopholes. Like, here, how do I get away around this rule? How, how can I get away with some work on the Sabbath? So we don't need more regulations. I don't want to offer you any of that. I don't have any of them really to offer you. But what I will encourage you to do is to, is to stop working regularly, weekly, to cease from labor in order to recover and recreate and reflect and to worship. I said it before, God wants us to gather with His people on the Lord's there. There's no doubt. But maybe, maybe you're tempted to fill that day with so many other things? There's no space for worship. Perhaps you're required to work on Sundays, like like many I know here are. But what other day can you rest? Is there another day that you can identify and rest? What day can you here's a question. What day can you encourage and help your household to rest? I'm speaking in particular to to, to moms and dads, those who lead households. We we, we teach our kids to work hard, don't we? We want them to have a good work ethic. Are we teaching them to rest diligently? Are we teaching our kids the value of Sabbath? What it means to obey this commandment. To set aside work and trust God. Not only for the purpose of their own physical and mental well-being, but also to set aside work in order to fellowship with the Lord and know him. Lastly, lastly, this commandment gives us a promise. Isn't it true that even when you can can go on a vacation, you can even have a restful weekend, you can be practicing Sabbath regularly. Don't you still sometimes just feel tired? (laughs) Doesn't it feel sometimes like the rest just isn't enough? It's insufficient. Rest is, to some degree, imperfect. Jesus knows that. So what Jesus promises us is true, deep, real rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, what did he say? He says, come to me, all of you who are working hard and you feel so burdened down, and I will give you rest, he says. And then later he specifies, he, I'm talking about rest for your soul. Deep rest. Soul rest. It means that right now we can experience real rest. Even as our bodies may feel the burden of life in a fallen world, we can experience rest from that slavish drive to prove ourselves, to make something of ourselves, to satisfy the expectations of others, or even worse, even worse, to, to satisfy God. Jesus says you can rest from trying to impress God. You can rest from trying to find approval with him. And, and here's how you rest, he says. Come to me. It's by trusting in him, in Jesus, that you will find rest from the rat race to impress others, to be accepted by others, to make a way for yourself, to find, to find safety for yourself because he will offer that all to you. When he hung on the cross, he His final words were a call to rest. What did he say? He said, it is finished. He had finished obeying these 10 commandments perfectly. He had finished paying for our failure to keep these commandments perfectly. He says, all the work's done. Now you can rest from trying to strive to reach God. I've come down. I've reached you. I've died for you. The work is done. Hebrews 4 tells us that whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. We can rest from striving. In this, tenth, in this fourth commandment, there's a, there's a future promise, too. Because that rest I'm talking about we can experience right now, but there's a future promise, too. The promise is that one day we will be able to rest from the fight against sin that, you know that tendency in your heart to, to, to believe that you're self-sufficient? That, that tendency in your heart to mistrust God, to think, if I really obey you, are you really going to show up and provide for me? That tendency towards workaholism for some of us, or maybe for some of us, the other side of it, it's that tendency towards slothfulness and laziness. There's a promise that those, that fight will end. We will be given rest one day from that battle. <laughs> It won't tempt us anymore. So what will we do with what God reveals about himself here and confronts us with here? What are we going to do with the instruction that God gives us here in the fourth commandment, his promises? Here's a question. Are you willing willing to evaluate your life in light of this? Are you willing to ask, what changes could I make, Lord? What changes could I make in order to receive this invitation into rest? That you're offering me here. What changes do I want to see made in my household? I'm a mom or a dad, maybe. I, I've got I've got the ability to maybe, maybe, maybe help my household experience more rest, make room for the people, whether it's my spouse or my kids, or I can make room for people to experience more rest by being less demanding of them, by giving them more space. How can I do that, Lord? And if you're resistant to the call to rest. You're resistant to to the idea of trying to create margin in your life. Ask yourself, why? What's keeping me? What, What makes me so hesitant to want to embrace this command, this kind command? Is it anxiety? A lack of trust in him? Fear of what will happen if you slow down? Or is it covetousness? I want more. In order to get more, I need to do more is it pride right in our society sometimes we wear busyness like a badge right so to talk about taking time off is like shameful we want to prove who works harder here is it pride what is it whatever it is let's confess it to the lord we are looking so many of us are looking for that balance that work-life balance and god says start here Start here a day of rest each week to recover, recreate, reflect, and worship. And and see, see over time if that rhythm doesn't start to change your perspectives. If if you don't start to, to, if your trust doesn't start to grow. If your enjoyment of God doesn't deepen as you begin to enjoy more of the freedom that he's given you. Let's take God at his word. Let's obey him. Let's seek to, and let's confess our failures as well. Let's pray. Father, we want to trust you. We believe that you are true. We believe that you uh, care for us and that you know what is best for us. Help us, Lord. Help us to discern how in our households, in our personal lives, as a church, help us discern how to walk in obedience to this commandment. And to the degree that we have failed and we have all failed and we will fail, we entrust ourselves to you. And to the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus our Savior. Amen.